On this Christmas Eve, I'm, I'm thinking about Bethlehem. Of course, we always think about Bethlehem on this day, but I'm not just thinking about the Bethlehem with the manger and uh, the, the shepherds and the baby Jesus. I'm thinking about Bethlehem of today. You see, we were there, a small group of us from the church, uh, just a little over a year ago. In November of 22, uh, we went into, into Bethlehem. I've got three pictures for you. Just I took these with my iPhone. Sorry, I'm not a good iPhone photographer. The third one I didn't take, so it's the best of the three. Uh, but the first one is a picture of Manger Square. Uh, you see the church in the distance. That's the Church of the Nativity, uh, which I'll talk about in a moment. But when we got there, uh, we, we were greeted by scores of, of little kids selling trinkets. They're behind me when I'm taking this picture because they're at the entrance to the square. They're selling rosary beads and crosses and little images of the Virgin Mary with the baby. Uh, and then you, you walk to the church. The next picture is inside the church. Uh, the church is shared by three different denominations. And right in the middle, between all three sections, there's a grotto or a cave. You see that little silver, what looks like half of a star there with a hole in the middle? That's the spot where in the year 325 AD, Helena, the mother of Constantine, the, the emperor of Rome, a devout Christian woman, came to Israel to find the spots where, where Jesus walked. And she came to Bethlehem and, and asked the locals, where, where was Jesus born? Of course, it's only been three centuries. So she thought they might know. And that's the exact spot where they said it was, inside this small cave. So people line up to go and, and touch it, maybe even to kiss it. Uh, we didn't touch or kiss it, but we did feel a sense of, of awe being there. The third picture is of me with our, our guide, Aviv. Um, I don't know if you can tell from the picture, um, but I, what I like about this picture is it looks like he's rolling his eyes while I talk, <laughs> which y'all can't get away with because I'm looking at you, but you know, it, it looks like he's saying, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Um, but Aviv has become a friend to us. In fact, he texted me this morning and, and wished me a Merry Christmas. Um, great, great guy, great tour guide. He's really good at what he does and uh, has a beautiful family. Last summer, some of you know, I was, I had a sabbatical. And so Carrie, Kaylee and I uh, were there and he invited us to his in-law's house for Sabbath dinner, which was an amazing experience. I've never experienced that kind of hospitality before. Um, I believe seven courses of food. I, I was stuffed even more than I hope to be stuffed tomorrow. It was, it was wonderful. Um, but right now he's not leading tours. He's not getting to do what he loves because of what's going on over there right now. In fact, that picture of uh, Manger Square, ordinarily tonight it would be packed with pilgrims. On, on an average Christmas Eve, four million people go to Bethlehem, a city that ordinarily has 30,000 in population. Tonight, the streets are empty. The churches don't even have Christmas decorations up. There will still be midnight mass at the Church of the, of the Nativity, but very few will be there. Those kids that were selling those trinkets, our, our tour guide, Aviv couldn't take us into Bethlehem because it's in the West Bank. And so he handed us over to a, uh, an Arab tour guide, a Palestinian tour guide named Ramsey. Ramsey is one of the 20% of Bethlehem's population that is a Christian. The, the other 80% are Arab Muslims. Um, and Ramsey speaks English, Hebrew, Arabic, and Spanish. I said, how'd you learn Spanish? And he said, well, most of my family has immigrated to Chile and going and spending time with them, I picked up the language, which is nice. Um, 
but that, that just represents the part of the Christian population of the Holy Land, at least the Arab Christian part of the population that is dwindling, is declining. And I wonder about him not being able to lead tours there. As I was starting to say, he told us when we saw those kids selling those trinkets, he said they should all be in school right now. But their families depend on this income. 80% of Bethlehem's income comes from tourism. So what are those families doing right now? How are they surviving? I think about Aviv. I think about his kids. Every once in a while hearing those sirens and meaning they have to go into the safe room because someone has shot another missile from Gaza. I think about Ramsey and his family. I think about the hostages in those caves in Gaza right now in the dark, not knowing what's going to happen, when or if they'll get to see their families again. Think about the people who lived there ordinarily in Gaza. And my cousin's husband, Abe, has lived most of his adult life in America, but he was born there. He's Palestinian, and he had a sister since this war began October 7th who was killed in a bombing and a nephew paralyzed. We can't even comprehend what life is like there right now. And sometimes, so maybe some of you right now are thinking, well, my life is pretty messed up too. May not be Gaza messed up, may not be Bethlehem messed up, but it's, it's not what it should be. The old Christmas carol says, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And that's what some of us feel right now. So what is, what is the answer? Well, you know what I'm going to say, right? Jesus is the answer. And some of you might say, well, wait a second, didn't, didn't religion cause all of this? Isn't this all because, because uh, a bunch of people believe that God is going to reward them for killing infidels, and so October 7th they killed 1,200 people? Isn't that the reason for all of this? Yes. I'm not saying religion is the answer. I'm saying Jesus is the answer. What if you knew a friend, knew somebody, family member, friend, someone you knew said, I want to go to Gaza right now. I think I could do some good. I, I'm just, I, I'm, not, I'm not in special forces. I'm not in a humanitarian group. I'm just, I'm just going to show up. I'm just going to maybe jump out of a plane and land there. And how hard would you try to talk them out of that right now? And yet, the first Christmas is about the fact that Jesus, the Son of God, came into a situation even worse. Okay, not only, okay, think about this for a moment. Jesus is the only human in history who chose to be born and chose when and where to be born. And he chose Bethlehem in the first century, a, a country occupied by a foreign power. Then, like most Christmas Eves, packed with people, knowing from the prophecies what would happen to him. He grew up. The family of a, uh, in the family of a poor carpenter. He worked with his own hands for all of his life. The last three years of his life, he, he left carpentry and became a wandering homeless preacher. And then in the very moment when he knew it would get him killed, he went to Jerusalem, right into the waiting arms of those who wanted him dead. But why would he do this? See, Jesus... Jesus shows us who God really is because Jesus is God. Jesus is a God who says, I would rather die for you than live without you. Jesus is a God who says, I can fix this. I can pay the price for you.
No one else can, no one else will, but I can and I will. This Christmas season, we've been looking at Isaiah 11, which talks about the second advent of Jesus, the second coming, because that's something we celebrate at this time of year too. We've been talking about how all this idea of peace on earth, goodwill to men doesn't seem to have happened yet, but it's on its way. It's happening in every human heart as they embrace Jesus, but someday it will spread over the whole world and the earth will be full of the Lord. The knowledge of the Lord is waters cover the sea. So let me just close that series with this verse this morning, Isaiah 11, verse 10. It says, In that day the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. Let me just walk through that really quickly. It says, The root of Jesse, that's Jesus. That's a name for the Messiah. He shall stand as a signal for the peoples. Other translations say a banner for the peoples. That's a a symbol of of, uh, military power. It's, It's a flag waving on a battlefield. Imagine you're in a war and you're all by yourself and there's bombs exploding and people screaming and and you're terrified and you don't know what to do, but suddenly you see someone waving an American flag and you run to it and you're safe. That's what Jesus is saying. That's what Isaiah is saying Jesus will be. He'll be the one that when people run to him, they'll be saved. And it says, of him the nations will inquire. In other words, the nations will come to him. That word nations is interesting. In Hebrew, it's the word goyim. You know, to this day, if you know anybody who's Jewish who speaks Hebrew, that's how they refer to you. We're goyim. We're the, we're the nations. We're the Gentiles. He's saying the Messiah, when he comes, won't just be for the chosen people. He'll be for all people. That's you and me. And then he says, and his resting place shall be glorious. There will be rest. Finally, at long last, there will be rest. The world will have rest from everything that divides us. Everything that, that, that matters in that day is not going to be how tall you are or how much money you made or what you look like or, or, or what school you went to or who your parents were. All that will matter is, do you know the king? Do you follow the king? See, there will be some people on that day who oppose Jesus when he comes back and scriptures tell us what happens to them. The kind of people who start wars, the kind of people who are out in it only for themselves and are unrepentant, they will be destroyed. But everyone who flocks to the king will be saved. They will live in total harmony with one another. Jewish and Palestinian Christians will dwell together in harmony. You and me, black, white, brown, and yellow, rich and poor, all of us. If you follow him, You'll live in a world with no war, no violence, no political polarization, family breakdown, prejudice, bullying, harassment. You'll live in a world where you meet people from every conceivable language and color and culture. And instead of finding your differences uh, off-putting, you'll be attracted to one another. You'll you'll, You'll find common ground with them because no matter what else is true, you serve the same king. You have the same savior. And you'll be fascinated by them. And they with you. And again, you might say, but yeah, but isn't religion the problem? I read somewhere where they say that fundamentalism, religious fundamentalism is the cause of more problems on earth than anything else. If we could just get rid of that, everything would be fine. And I say, yes, but it depends on what your fundamental is. <laughs> yeah, if your fundamental is I'm, I'm right and everyone else is wrong and, and I, I need to destroy those who aren't like me, well, absolutely. But if your fundamental is that God loves us enough to die for us, that there's one Savior and He's a God of grace, that 
to follow him means to put others first and to love them as you love yourself. Then that, that's the kind of kingdom that when it conquers, it brings peace. It brings joy. It brings justice. It brings glory. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas. We don't just celebrate the baby in the manger, although we do. We don't just talk hopeful words of peace and goodwill, but we, we remember a Savior who parachuted into our own personal Gaza on a suicide mission to rescue us and brought us out alive and free. So we pray for Bethlehem. We pray for Gaza. We pray for Aviv and, and Ramsey and for those hostages. And, and most of all, we pray for peace. We pray for the Lord to return. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. As we await his return in the day, all the sad things come untrue. We serve him. We rejoice to watch his kingdom quietly spread heart to heart, soul to soul, family to family, home to home. As the third verse of Joy to the World proclaims, he comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Wherever there's hurt, wherever there's pain, wherever there's lostness, Jesus is there saying, come to me and I will give you rest.